What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Folks, it's a new year, and I am excited about the guests that we're going to have on the show here in 2023. I'm also excited about some of the Marriage Monday topics that Jamie and I are putting together. I hope this is giving you the opportunity to identify your foundations, to keep perspective in a world full of noise and chaos. And as you hear from guests or from Jamie and I as we share some of our marriage stories, I'm hoping as you hear other people's perspective that it gives you the opportunity to to analyze uh, what those foundations are for you in your life. Folks, today's guests, uh, it's husband and wife team Tom and Jen Satterley, a remarkable couple who have had a hard life And as they've gone through their own process, they're wanting to pass on some of that wisdom to other folks. Uh, Tom is a retired Army Delta Force operator. He actually rose to the rank of Command Sergeant Major and just had a lot of experience and experiencing loss and trauma through, through his service to our country. And then Jen was an established, uh, filmmaker and photographer, and she actually embedded with uh, the the military special operations community to tell story, uh, to to create uh, news, and just that's where they meet is is in this uh, co experience together, and and they share in the episode today that they didn't fix everything prior to prior to getting together. They they got married. And really worked through some really, really tough stuff, even to the point of divorce was an option. Tearing up that marriage certificate was a was an option that was being considered. And instead, they, they stayed together, went through the healing process, healing individually and together so that they could stay married. Just a remarkable story in their hearts of wanting to pass on their wisdom to other other folks so that they don't have to go through the same tough times that they went through. That's their heart. Uh, It's going to be exciting. This is going to be worth your while, folks. But before we do that, I want to talk about Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to healing our nation's heroes. That's right, our veterans that are returning from uh, being deployed with war-related injuries or uh, mental health injuries. Service Peace Warriors is doing all the work. They're raising the money, they're training the service animals and the veteran, and they're equipping the veterans with the service animal. Uh, but they took it a step further. They wanted to help first responders as well. So they started Maddox Dog Training Academy, a for-profit business, and they take the proceeds from Maddox to further fund giving service animals to first responders. If you haven't checked them out, please check them out today, servicepeacewarriors.org. With that, let's jump over to my interview with Tom and Jen. Tom and Jen Satterley, thank you for joining me here on the Gravity Podcast. Thank uh, you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure. Well, what the listeners don't know is that this took a few times due to busy schedules and whatnot. And so I've been excited about, about this interview for a bit. I've really enjoyed watching you from afar. Uh, I've, I've attended some virtual conferences probably a couple years ago where you all were either keynote speakers or gave some type of address. And I really have been drawn to to both of your story separately, but then also your story uh, as as husband and wife as well. So, in case the listeners don't know you, can can you guys just give a little bit of introduction of your background? Absolutely, you go first. No, I knew it. Yeah, hey, Tom Satterley, um, Chief of Operations for All Secure Foundation, author, and I uh, spent twenty five years in the military. Twenty one of twenty two of those in special operations. Love it. That's where you're going. You're stopping there. Okay. He's a humble man. (laughs) Um, I'm Jen and I met Tom in 2013. Up until that point in time, I had a marketing um, and film photography studio and I started embedding on realistic military uh, exercises for about four years before starting All Secure Foundation. So you must like danger then, Jen. I mean, there's a lot of places you could go with, you know, being a filmmaker and a photographer and you're attracted to special operations military force. <laughs> I wanted to be a National Geographic photographer. So this was 
this is my shot. So I loved it. She's brave. Her first, <laughs> her first ride on a helicopter was at probably two in the morning. It was a Chinook. She didn't have night vision. She had a night vision camera. She was filming the, the Navy SEALs on, and it was in North Charleston. Mm-hmm. And I shoved her in the back of the Chinook as they were loading up all the detainees. And she's like, what am I doing? I just follow these guys wherever they go. And it was her first ride on a helicopter. She's like texting me, what's all this liquid on the floor? And I'm like, don't worry about it. You're all right. There's tape everywhere. No, tape's tape. good. Tape's good. I don't know if we want to know what the liquid on the floor is. There's, there's a lot uh, yeah. of different places that that could go that it would all be bad. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, so Tom, you were a, a command sergeant major, which again, a lot of my listeners are either military or law enforcement first responders. So they know that, but maybe for the few that don't, uh, what does that mean in the army, in the army structure? Um, when you're the command sergeant major, you typically a senior enlisted advisor for the officer who's in charge. You're, you're the one who's been in longer than them typically. However, they've, you know, had more leadership courses, however the military's lined up, and you are his senior uh, advisor since you've done it all. And you're the guy that kind of keeps him from doing crazy things that they were taught in school, maybe, you know, like, hey, I'm going to go do this thing I learned in school. And you're like, no, 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 we're going to do what we've done that works that we've done on the ground. So kind of like helps the officers um, evaluate their decisions before they actually put out the commands. Well. Now you were uh, the, the the famous movie Black Hawk Down. You were actually on that operation, correct? Yes. And so that a lot of folks know that movie, and and that kind of gives a little snapshot of your job as a Delta Force operator. Um, and that was our first major conflict, first major cl- conflict since Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. And the longest I know it was the longest sustained firefight, eighteen since hours since yep. Vietnam. For sure. And my first combat ever. So. <laughs> yeah. Start. Yeah, it was a good start. Way to get everything out of the way, you know, one one trip. Now, as you're shoving Jen on the, did you say it was a Chinook? Yes. As you're shoving her on the Chinook, are you guys, are, is this in the courting portion of the relationship or is she already, oh, you know? You're established by then. Yeah, okay. heavy flirting. <laughs> he, he actually shot me with a sim round when we very first met. That was my and first That flirt. was his flirt. Yes. I was like, why did you shoot me? He's like, I thought you were cute. The simunitions, a little BB, little rubber BB. It was across the street. She was bending over packing camera equipment. I, you know, it was a saw too, a squad automatic weapon. I thought, huh, how does this work? So I kind of, kind of aimed it in her direction and pulled the trigger. And I could see that little, little BB kind of flying through the air and, and arcing. And then it literally hit right where her shirt had pulled up from her pants in the backside. Yeah. Like a quarter of an inch. her right there on the skin. skin. And she jumped up screaming, who did that? I'm like, oh, that maybe wasn't good flirting right there. You impress the boys, though. They're like, nice shot. Nice shot. I'm like, I meant to do that. But yeah, she turned around and gave me one of those looks like she was going to kill me. And I thought, Mm -hmm. "Uh uh-oh, I might have gone too far. Maybe I want to flirt with this one again. (laughs) I'm going to shoot her one more time, see what happens. (laughs) That sounds kind of like a half-court shot. I mean... It was crazy. It really was. That was pretty far. I I never thought I'd hit her. That's why I shot it in that direction. (laughs) Oops. That's why we don't point weapons at things we don't wish to destroy, you know, because that thing Yeah. So, Tom, I mean, again, a career in not just in the military, but within a select group of the military. And I know as you get uh, in a more select group, the relationships run deep. I mean, there is there is close relationships with the folks that you served with. Um, But there's also the consequence of 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 the job that has to be done. At what point did some of those consequences start to kind of build up within you? I think they started building up right away and I just drank them away or ignored them or just worked harder through it. Um, when I started to notice it was post retirement. Um, when I, you know, I think 10 days after my, I retired, I was packing up and moving to Amman, Jordan. I, I was starting a new, com- uh, not starting a company, but I was starting a new um, position there and it was kind of involved. So it was one of those, Hey, I'm making more money. So everything's better. Uh, but my off time became, you know, what do I do with my hands kind of thing? What do I do? I don't have that tribe. Um, when that dried up and I came back to the States and was doing intermittent contract work, uh, I was, when I was home, it was one of those, hey, I'm retired. I don't do anything anymore. And I didn't have hobbies because I never had time for hobbies. So I laid in bed and watched TV all night and slept in the day as long as I could and ate at off hours and just started getting really depressed. And I don't even think I noticed that. That was like, I'm, I'm at retirement, you know? And then I met Jen and it was one of those, 
said, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? You know, you guys are weak and you're silly and you don't do anything and nothing matters. And she's like, yeah, you guys are a type and everything's matters and everything's trauma and traumatic. And I'm like, no, 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 that's the way life is. And so I started realizing that's not the way life is, you know, um, that's the mask that I wore to feel good and to look good around other people. So I started letting my guard down a little bit. Little and I bit. started feeling nice, you know, and I was like, okay, I don't want to kill people all the time. I don't hate myself as much. Um, but it got to a point where I, you know, I nearly took my life uh, and I did that probably multiple times. I, I don't know how many times. I. Yeah. Actually... I think that's the misconception is people think it was this one incident that he talks about in his book. Um, but there were dozens of attempts. Yeah. Just the shame. Um, I don't belong here. I've done my thing. I might as well go. I'm a warrior. There's no more worrying to be done. So I'm worthless. And so I didn't love myself. I didn't love anybody else. And it just started getting worse from there. Isolation and drinking and, and just hatred for everything. You talk about shame. What, where, where was the shame coming from? I mean, you probably didn't know at the time. Maybe you just felt it. But where? what was there that was kind of welling up within you there? You know, all the horrible things that you have to do. You start blaming yourself for it, um, even though at the time you did it to stay alive. Um, when you look back on it later, you know, you kind of what if and could I have and and then you start thinking of the other person and it starts to weigh on you. And Jen would ask me questions about, hey, do you do you still hate Somalians or do you, you know, and, ah, screw those guys, you know, but not all of them, of course. But at the time, you have to hate everything that you're going after. So, yeah, it was. uh I think also family stuff came in with shame too. I yeah, mean, the family stuff that my son didn't yeah. speak to me. I was on my on my third divorce. Um, my son spoke to me at the time he was young, but I knew the relationship wasn't wasn't a good one. I wasn't a good father, even though I wanted to be. You know, it just didn't manifest that way because I didn't do anything. And I said I was always gone, but all that's a choice now, isn't it? And I look back at, at the choices I made. And now I judge myself. So the shame started getting heavier and heavier. You can't change the past. And that's where I was living in the past. So there's no way to fix the past. So the weight just got heavier and heavier and heavier as I looked to the past. You know, and that's when I started realizing with Jen's help that you can't do anything about the past. You need to start living in the now and preparing for the future. And when I didn't do that, you know, it was it was just depressive. And I didn't want to be here and be that burden. You know, so that shame cycle, we call it, of every time I did something horrible. I would hate myself more. I would hate the words I'm sorry even more than that. You know, and I'd hate to look my, my wife in the eye of some screaming at her and then, oh, I'm all better now, right? Is it okay? You know, and sorry. And knowing that or telling myself that she doesn't love me anymore, right? How could you love a guy like me that talks like that? So having zero empathy or compassion for others because I didn't have any love for myself made everything really difficult. Wow. Jen, <laughs> What was this like for you? I mean, you're stepping into this relationship, right? And you're seeing these different layers in Tom and it didn't scare you away. My wife teases me that I, I tricked her into marrying me 25 years ago, right? right. I'm like, hey, wh whatever it takes, girl, whatever it takes. You got skills and trap things. It doesn't sound like Tom was trying to trick you. You were seeing these different layers that maybe he was trying to trick himself. He didn't even see all of it, all the, the depth of this within himself, uh, just tell me what this experience was like for you. You know, I think at the time I would ask myself the question of why am I here? Why am I staying? You know, this is, this is just not a healthy relationship. And I think now that I have, you know, I can look back in the review a little bit and, and see what was happening. I had a lot of untreated trauma, a lot of untreated PTS um, that I was facing that I had a mirror I mean, I had a mask on myself as well. I joke that, you know, his PTS and my PTS were attracted to each other. But there's some kind of truth in that, that um, I was familiar with that kind of hurt. And, and it came from different arenas, um, certainly, but I knew what that pain felt like. And so I think, you know, like if you go to Psychology 101, they're going to say this is obvious. You had an abusive parent. And then you end up in a relationship like this, and this is the pattern. But I, I truly felt like there were points that if I left him, if I walked away, that he would have absolutely ended his life. And there was this weight on top of it of, I do love this person. I do care from him, care for him. And 
I might have to love him from afar, but if I try to do that, he, he won't be here tomorrow. And so it was a really difficult time. I became, you know, su- I had suicidal ideation myself at that time, feeling very trapped of, of loving someone and wanting to help them, but also starting to realize like this isn't safe or good for me either. So it was, it was difficult. And that's another shame point for me, right? To know that, to feel like she's not leaving, not because she wants to be here, but because she feels she needs to be here. Again, you turn yourself into a victim. Yeah. Instead of I, I did something bad, I am bad, right? I mean, that's the difference, the contrast. You know, I, I was a child crime detective for a couple of years. And if I look back at that season, specifically in parenting, I was, I did bad things as a dad. I'd get in my, my kids' faces and scream at them. Now, had they disrespected their mom, disobeyed? Yeah, they had done something wrong, but my response wasn't measured. And for a long time, I was a bad dad in my mind. I'm a bad dad. And it led to PTS and depression and anxiety. And, and it wasn't until I realized, wait a second, I'm not defined by my failures, right? I'm defined by what I do afterwards, right? That how I respond to these failures. And so where was that kind of that catalyst moment? This was not good from what you all, the, the picture you're painting, unhealthy relationship, a lot of trauma and loss in both of your background. You're suffering from some post-traumatic stress injuries. Where, where was the, the pivot point? Where did it change? The night we got married. <laughs> that started it. I yeah, for, for sure. For two different reasons for both of us. It was, um, for me, I still had a jackhammer. Like, you know, I'm at rock bottom and I'm like, I'm going deeper. I can go deeper. You know, I'll keep going because nobody's going to tell me when I'm at rock bottom. I'll, I'll let you know. And it was a joke. So, you know, rock bottom is what you can spring off of, you know, to get off the top. So I'm looking for rock bottom. And, you know, now we try to stop people from going that far. So it doesn't take as long, but I was there. And, uh, you know, our wedding night wasn't, wasn't smooth. Again, all the things added up. And it was one of those nights that just, uh, you know, I woke up the next morning and I knew, well, that did not go like a wedding night should have gone. And it ended up being one of those begging moments. And she laid it down for me, um, which is a key thing we tell a lot of spouses is you need a line in the sand. And that's it, that line in the sand. And that's you make that decision. Only you can. And when they cross a the line in the sand, what are going to be, you know, your next events in life? And you need to have that always. And she didn't have it for a while, but she drew it that morning. Um, that Saturday morning and I, and I was one of those, wow, I've done it again. I've literally done it again in one night. And, uh, I was at rock bottom realizing that I needed to get out. And that's when I made a promise that Monday I was going to start something. And I think that Monday I had an you appointment yeah, I had an sure. appointment and I, and I had to start, you know, and, and I knew it and it sadly it needed a catalyst of there'll be complete loss. Complete and utter loss if you don't do something right now. You know, I could have done it earlier all along the way and made it better for everyone. But when you're you're an A-type and you think you know everything and you're highly trained and I've got the godlike, you know, attitude, it's hard to get to those people. You know, we, we try all the time and it's hard. And we know how hard it was to get to me, how hard it Good is time. to reach. And it takes time. So we always look for those new paths of how can we reach somebody else so it doesn't turn into what we had happened to us, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Jen, how did you decide that that was the moment that you needed to draw this line in the sand? You know, we, we had already been through a lot. It was about two and a half, almost three years into our relationship at this point. And I really, you know, it was difficult. I I didn't expect our wedding night to go as it did. I didn't, you know, I, the next day he said, can we go back to the spot on Tybee? where we got married. And I said, yeah. And he said, can I hold your hand? I said, no. Mm. And, and, you know, he said, can we talk? And I said, no. And I said, I'll go to the bench with you that we've gone to for the last three years. And I'll tell you when I'm ready to talk again. And we sat there for about two and a half hours quiet. Neither of us saying a word, just watching the waves come in. And at that time I was thinking, do I walk away at this point? And I literally told Tom, listen, we haven't turned this paperwork in yet. We have to turn it in Monday. We got married on the beach. So officially we're not married yet. I can rip this up and go back home and we'll just call it quits. And I didn't want to do that. I loved him very deeply. I wanted to be with him. But at that point, I decided to choose myself, which was a really difficult thing to do, especially as a people pleaser, especially someone who has a lot of trauma in their life and they're trying to fix everything. 
Um, I wanted to fix him. And I realized at that moment, he has to fix himself. And that's just not my place. And again, as Tom started his journey to healing, that started mine. Um, and it wasn't like we flipped a switch and on Monday he was in counseling and better. And I had, you know, the developed boundaries all of a sudden overnight. But it was the journey that started our journey towards you deserve better and I deserve better. And and let's team up and try to find that together. That's a key point for people who, who are trying to heal is to be patient. Be patient with yourself because yes. you have a, a muscle memory developed of anger and aggression and dominance and get on top of it as law enforcement, military, just dominant people are. It takes a bit to change when you choose to change, right? Those behaviors that you're used to, it takes a bit not to re revert back to that. Or heck, as a people pleaser. Yeah. As a you know, either side of the pendulum that swings, it takes a while. Yeah, change is hard and, and you have to dedicate, no matter what change it is you need, a lots of time to do that. Yeah. Well, here's the struggle I've, I've heard a lot of both military and first responders articulate is when they get to that rock bottom, when they get to that spot where it's like, I have to get help. People don't know. I, I heard, I think you guys are connected with Doc Shauna Springer. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and Tom, a little bit ago, you talked about tribe. She talks about that in her book, Warrior. And, and just the fact that there's not safety. When, when I was at my low point and I knew I needed to make the call, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was, I'm still active duty law enforcement. They're going to take my gun badge. I'm not going to have a way to provide for my family. And so how did you know where to turn? How did you know who to call when you were making that call for Monday morning? I had to start Googling. Um, yeah. It was literally, it was hard. We didn't it was know. very hard. Um, then you have to find the right people, you know, and Thank goodness I found I, Eric yeah. Clapton's former therapist. He was this good. This guy was awesome. Guy was Seriously? Good. Eric Clapton? Yes. I had no idea. He sent me straight. I didn't know until I got in his office. He was talking to me about, oh, yeah, Eric Clapton. You know, but he laid it out for me, and it was honesty. And I was excited. I love learning things. So it was exciting to learn something that I started. I was practicing at work with my friends, you know, <laughs> guys I work with, you know, anger is this and that. And they're, they're laughing at me. I'm like, no, I'm serious. You know, like when you sit in a car and somebody runs a red light and you didn't, you're mad at them. And you, how do you handle that? So it was interesting. Realized I had never been taught any of that stuff. And that's why it was so hard to do. Realized how hard it was to find resources that mattered. And that's when, you know, years later after watching people go off to war and not come back jen decided that instead of training people to go to war we need to help them when they're done with war and so um, we want to start a nonprofit. i'm like what you know what how and what are we going to do again and she's like we're well, i don't know but we'll figure this shit out and so she yeah. started, she grabbed her computer and got to work while i continued to do you know um rmts to make money so we could eat and she started shifting our lives in another direction without knowing what she was doing at all and just started Googling. But it's because of that reason, is right. that it was so difficult for us to yeah. find help. We wanted to pass that along to other people so it wouldn't be so difficult for them to do the same thing that we were trying to do. Yes, yes. You, Jen, back in November, I saw you post on LinkedIn uh, talking about this. And you, one of the comments you made was that the silent war can no longer remain silent. And that's what I see at the heart of what you all are doing with All Secure Foundation. You know, we used to call it the invisible wounds of war when we started back in 16, started research phase in 16. And we don't call it that anymore because we know that it's a biological response. Tom and I both have had brain scans and they've been able to identify this is where the trauma and this is the damage that the trauma caused. Um, so we know that this is a biological response and an injury that can be healed. And to be silent about it is is truly where this epidemic of suicide is coming from is the shame the embarrassment the incorrect narrative that it's weak to ask for help this is taking lives in fact there's 5,768 63 um, service members that were killed in action in Afghanistan and Iraq for 20 years and in that same amount of time we have and again, these numbers are all over the board, anywhere from 60,000 to 140,000, I've heard, um, suicides in that same amount of time. So if the enemy can't touch us, we have to shift our, our mindset to, if you're going to save someone from bleeding out on the battlefield, you have to save them on the home front. It looks like a different war. It looks like a different battle. But the person to your left and right still matters at home just as much as overseas, if not more. 
Yeah. I know for a lot of folks, it's, it's, there's, there's fear again. There's this, there's this, the big hurdle or the big wall that's preventing a lot of folks from getting help is what's going to happen to me. Even as small as when I returned from Iraq, I remember filling out some like survey. Did you see combat? Or how are you doing with it? Everyone knew you better answer the right answer to all, all, all of those. Otherwise, you're not going to see your family for at least a few more weeks. So what did everybody do? We answered, I'm good. Life's great. I don't know if that's changed. I hope it has. Uh, yeah, Unfortunately I don't think it's not. I think they think they're going to you know, rely on people to be honest about how they really are versus making it mandatory to, hey, when we go home, we're going to take three or four or five days, you know? Maybe we'll leave three or four or five days earlier, and this is part of our deployment, so the deployment doesn't get longer. Yeah. And we'll sit down and we'll talk about, to everyone, the guys hiding it, the ones who don't need it, the ones who need it, the same message that everyone needs to hear, you know, and how to get help and where to go and what you're going to feel like and what to expect so they can manage the expectations when it pops up. Because everybody screams at us, I'm so trained, I'm highly trained, how is this affecting me? I go, highly trained in what? Relationships? Mental health? Your feelings? No, you're highly trained to shoot, move, communicate, medicate, seize property, right? That all sounds good, but you're not trained on how to deal with it. So just uh, the awakening of that. And we don't we don't tell people, come get help anymore. It's like, come get training. You've never been trained on this, so come get training. And if you've been trained on it, come retrain if you're not doing well. Yeah. It's not really help. You know, it's like I didn't help people to learn to shoot. I didn't help them shoot a weapon. I taught them how to shoot that weapon, something they had never known how to do before. Yeah. You talk about expectation there, Tom. Uh, you also posted back in November uh, on LinkedIn, at least that's where I saw it, talking about holidays. And I really like the post because because we can we can really build up some of these events, whether it be a redeployment, right? We're coming back. There's going to be this reunion. There's all this anticipation and expectation. And then when our, our service member for, for the spouses or for the service member, when we, when we try to reunite, we're it doesn't go well. And there, there was three points that you talked about. And again, this has to do with holidays, but I think it totally translates into, into separation and re, being reunited. You, you put comparison is the death of joy. Expectation is the root of all evil. And shame drives us into isolation. Wow. I think that's powerful. Powerful for folks to recognize, to hopefully try to counteract some of that. And that's for everybody on the planet. You know, yeah. tell veterans, this isn't relegated just to you. You know, people have stress and post-trauma stress. That's what it is. And everyone has stress in their lives. And some of us are trained for more than others are. And managing expectations is the key thing that, that Jen really brought up a lot in Change coming to our retreats. Sure. We'd have couples show up at our retreats and they're, you know, they're angry. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, they're fighting. Oh, travel. Oh, shit. So now we started texting people as they're traveling to our retreats. Hey, this is difficult. Even. A week out. Hey, yeah. here's a video, guys. Traveling is stressful. Don't scream at your partners. You know, uh, be curious. Ask questions. Expect it to be rough. Expect travel to be delayed. Expect travel to be, you know, you're going to be aggravated. And you're not with your kids. So just just your spouse. But a lot of these guys know how to travel. You know, I do this. I do this. I'm here early. And then the spouse is like, we got to get there six hours earlier. Or, or some guys are that way, too. And the spouse is like, what? So talk to each other, manage those expectations of the trip's going to be perfect. And they're terrified already because they're going to come share feelings, they think, you know, yeah. so we, we start texting. We know you're arguing. We know you're fighting. You're traveling. Everybody does. And then they feel as part of a team versus isolated. We're fighting and no one else is. And we suck, you know, and they show up and we start talking about date night. Here's the tools for six hours. You know, yes. our, our licensed clinical social worker teaches yes. tools on how to communicate. And they practice. They come back and they teach more and they practice. Now it's date night. Guys were coming back, you know, calling us. Ah, she's gone. She's drunk. I need a ride to the airport. I'm out of here. And I'm like, oh, everybody just relax, man. We got two more days of this retreat. So we start yeah, telling, we listen, don't go out and have a perfect verbiage. night. Go out and have an <laughs> yes. okay night. Have, a, have yes. a decent night. Fuck it. Just try not to fight a little bit, maybe. And they're like, oh, if I don't expect it to yeah. be perfect, if I don't expect Christmas morning to go perfect, I can wake up and not not get mad the second something bad happens. Like, which is what destroyed all of our holidays was me waiting to wake up for Christmas, Easter, whatever it is, thinking kids are going to throw trash everywhere. No one cares. Ah, everybody, nobody just expecting. I mean, I'm going down the list of everything I hate about those days. 
I almost make it happen that way then. Mm. Yeah, it's like manifestation. It almost plays out. I manifest it, you know, and I'm waiting for one little thing. I knew it. It's that's it. And now I'm mad. And when I'm mad, everybody's mad. So that's the story we start hearing about how guys ruin all the holidays, ruin birthdays. And why do you ruin them? Because your friends are dead and you you don't feel the need to be happy? No, because I really don't know how to manage my expectations of what this morning wants to be like, because I want it perfect for everybody. I certainly do. But I end up ruining it because it's never perfect. And I'm mad because it's not perfect. So when I can manage that expectation of perfection, let's just have an okay Christmas, you know, an okay date. People started yeah. coming back from their dates going, it was amazing. We talked for six hours. We didn't go to bed last night because they didn't expect it to be perfect. They didn't fight. Yeah, we literally, the, this is our third, fourth season in our retreats. And up until then, it's like, you guys are going to have this great date night. And you're at this beautiful resort. And it's free. It's paid for. It's go out there and have the best night ever. And then the next morning, everyone's sitting there. You know, I'm like, oh, you what happened? Tell. Okay, he drank too much. She got, you know. And so literally this year, we're like, go out and have a good time. Just, okay. If you want to sit and watch Naked and Afraid and do that tonight and that's your idea, no one's going to judge you for it. Just do you, knowing that you're going to be tired, you're exhausted, you had a tough, challenging day doing emotional stuff. So it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to have the perfect date night. And then people would have really great date nights. Just yes. removing that pressure of perfection and yes. yeah. removing it from each other. And then blame comes in. So I think we made a comment like be kind or, or say good shit to each say other. Say nice shit to say each nice other. Say nice shit to each other. Someone's like, that's on a t-shirt. And I, we've never done it yet. But no. it's one of those just, what do we do on date night tonight if we don't, it's not working out? I don't know. Just be nice and say good shit to each other. And they start laughing. They're like, that's a t-shirt. Yeah. It's, it's not hard if you don't start looking for what's wrong. But it's part of pts too is perfection driven aggression and when i read that i'm like oh wow this is a big part of tom is the cup is in the sink you know and i i couldn't i didn't understand why these little things like my shoes i kicked them off in the front entrance door or that's how you know i <laughs> i left my bag and the keys and i threw them down on the table and he you know he would have these big blow-ups and i'm like you didn't put them on the windowsill where they always it's... go and how am i supposed to find them and that just throws everybody i mean i had the reason why everything needed to be perfect yes. why because we'll die if it's not perfect in my world right yes it's, that doesn't translate to this world no it doesn't but your brain didn't know the difference yeah, and the brain doesn't perception of chaos is still chaos yes and so for him out of order means death and and honestly Working with a therapist help us understand that. Like, listen, the brain doesn't understand a perceived threat from a real one. So and to for civilians Tom, out there that don't know, no, I'm not on the ground low crawling. Look at the people <laughs> trying to stab you with a bayonet. It's you know the TV stuff that people yeah. have asked me, like fireworks go off and I jump one time because it's the first firework of the day and it's not the fourth of July. You know? It he goes, Oh, do you have PTS? I'm like, what? The PTS. So the PTS. And she's like mad about it. And it's like, what do you mean? Do you think you're back in Iraq? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It naturally, the loud noise startled me. Now, oh, he's not delusional. You know, if it was a car bomb, I'd probably do something different. But it's a firework. And I look and I'm done. And now the fireworks go off and I'm not jerking around anymore. No, I don't. You know. Flashbacks are real. They just, they happen yeah. differently than the Hollywood version. Yeah. Sometimes it brings you back smells. Sure, all that stuff does happen. But the yeah. civilian version of, I'm not low <laughs> from the beach, you're hiding from the fireworks every time they're going off because I, I know where I'm at. Yeah. Right? I know 100%. where I'm at. I just don't know how to handle people. I love hearing that date night is at your guys' foundation of your retreat. So Jamie and I, my wife and I, uh, every other week, we do a Marriage Monday version here on the podcast. And episode one was date night. And, and so we talk about that a lot. And this is the numbers that I usually give people. I actually haven't done a study on this, folks. So this is, you know, crazy math. I say when, when my wife and I, when we date roughly weekly, I would say about 25% of the dates are bad because I say something stupid. Right. <laughs> it goes south and I'm like, oh, this Did is she bad. ever say anything stupid, right? Guys are always like, I say something stupid. My wife, she is reserved. She she contemplates and she speaks with intention. If she said everything right. that was on her mind, she would say a lot of stupid stuff. But so she, she's she's <laughs> she's smart, yeah. A little bit more emotionally intelligent than I am. Uh, about fifty percent of the dates are ugh. like we eat food, there's a little bit of conversation. It's good, but it's 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 okay. Go out and have an okay date. But 25% of the dates are dynamite. I mean, like, this is the stuff that the rated R movies are made of, right? I mean, like, everything goes right, romance, ah, breakthrough conversation. 
Now think about that for a second. If those numbers are right and you date your spouse once a month, you're only going to have three dynamite dates a year. That's it. If you date... If you, That's awesome, man. if you date your spouse weekly, now the numbers just go through the roof of how often you, you have the potential for those dynamite dates. And so I love that. That's at the foundation of, of your guys's retreats. Let's get into that. Let's get into the work. You're both authors. You've written books, all secure and arsenal of hope. I mean, you, you guys are doing this work, trying to help other people unpack their trauma and have better relationships. Can you just expand on some of the work you guys are doing? Absolutely. We're, we're super passionate about it. I think when we were so challenged with getting Tom the help that he needed, getting me the help that I needed, and, and honestly, secondary PTS wasn't even anything I'd ever heard of until we were sitting down with the, the therapist that we ended up hiring at All Secure. She was so phenomenal. She brought Tom and I from a very dark place, probably right at the edge of divorce, to a honeymoon phase. And I'll tell her, you saved his life. You saved probably mine and our marriage. And she said, gosh, I wish I had that power. I wish I was that powerful because I would just help everyone then. She's like, you did the work. He did the work. I provide you the tools, but you have to do the work. You have to put in the work. So we're like, hey, we got to bring this to other people. We have to bring, frankly, Stacy to other people because we know if someone, like Tom said, can teach the tools, people can understand that PTS is an injury, a biological injury that can be healed. And also understanding you can't shove it under the rug. Willpower doesn't work. And most often when you do that, when you do things like shove it away, it gets worse with time, not better. So the idea that this will go away on its own is not true. Any more than I broke my arm, it'll go away on its own. You have to get it rebroken, reset, go through all the processes of healing. And then, yeah, you're still going to have issues with that arm. You know, I think people think I'm going to go through this healing process. And then I'm going to come out like, you know, Tom, the Indiana boy, he was growing up in a cornfield and that Tom's gone. That Tom's gone for good. And I wouldn't want that Tom anymore. I love the Tom that I have. I love his experiences and who it's made him. Um, It was really removing the dark side of who he was and really starting to celebrate the bright and light side that he was. And so we decided to start the foundation in 16, 17. We became a 501c3. That time we just wanted to get resources to people. Um, like I said, we were struggling, excuse me, so hard to find our way through. We didn't want people to suffer that way. Yeah. By 2019, we started doing couples retreats. People were really, we just found a huge hole that, you know, people were sending veterans off to get help. Um, and in fact, a good friend of ours went to warrior's heart for about 14 weeks. And I kept asking who's taking care of Susie and the kids while he's gone 14 weeks. It's another deployment. And no one had a good answer for me. And so I called her one day and she was completely and utterly distraught, broken. No one was helping her. She felt left alone and abandoned. And that was my turning moment where I said, we are not helping the warfighter. We are helping the warfighter family. And if a spouse needs to come forward and they want to raise their hand and they need help, I don't need the warfighter to come with them. We will help him or her on their own right because they deserve it. They've sacrificed. They've given up so much. Um, They deserve every bit of healing that we can provide them. So we offer um, coaching 365. We have three coaches. We're looking to add our fourth right now. Um, and that's kind of the the bread and butter of what we do is helping folks get trained, as Tom said, and, and to understand this injury and to understand you could get to the other side of it and live a good life. We and formed so, a web, too, um, yeah. with places like Warriors Heart yes. and other organizations to where we can't do it all. Other organizations don't do it all. So we handle the behavioral change. We handle the counseling, you know, we hand out people to the tools that they need to better their relationships, things that they need after every modality of healing that they go through. Yeah. Everything you go through, you know, whether you get a Stella shot, you go through TMS, you go to Warriors Heart. When you come home, you do psychedelics. When you come home, that didn't fix you, right? That puts you in a place to keep going, keep going further. So that's when behavioral change needs to start because those, those shots and, not drinking takes you so far, but all the behavior you've developed over the years still comes out. You got to work through that. And then you need to heal in the relationship. The relationship has to heal. Yeah. Hey, you bring up the Stella Ganglion block. Talk about what that, I know both of you went through that. I saw you guys posted on social media. Tell us about that experience. It's great. That was a really it's a great nice experience. Pause. It's, it's only grown since since we've even gone and we're looking yeah. to go back as well. Um, now they're doing like a five day start with Stella and then you can do ketamine along with um, hormone replacement, right? It, 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 
like a five day period of things that go through that, that really help you out. And they've moved how they've done the Stella shot, but it, it gives you that pause from either childhood trauma or adult trauma, depending on what it is. It kind of gives you that break in the stress factors of how you feel and how you look at those things, but it doesn't heal you. You still have to, it gives you a good place to start from. It's and almost like there, that flight fighter freeze. Yep. Um, so what it's doing is, is, basically telling that to stand down for a minute calming the amygdala you get a break yeah you get a break from always being like tom's if it's a one to ten anger scale he just sat at a seven so like something would happen and all of a sudden he's at a ten because yeah, he had a real short way to go and after he had the shot the best way i could describe it he wasn't reset to zero but he was maybe at a three now yeah. And so it gave him time before he would react at a seven or eight. And and he wasn't frankly getting even to a seven or eight. And to, so to it's pretty amazing it, to see. I would walk through cities and if a homeless person or anybody grabbed my shoulder un, unbeknownst to me, I would turn, grab an arm and look and find out what's going on before I, you know, I'm going to put you in a position where I could control you first. And then, okay, why are you touching me? Yeah. After my shot in Chicago, <laughs> homeless guy came up and grabbed my shoulder, I think. Hey, turn me around and Jen like backed up like, here we go. And I turned like, <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, what's up, buddy? You know, he's like, do you have any money? I go, uh, start, uh, you know, yes. what for? Well, I, you know, some food and I like drinking. And I've got honesty. Okay. Like 20, 30, 50 bucks, man. Here. <laughs> I, I told Jen, I was like, I want to go to the ATM and get more money. These poor guys might hit me up for some more money. My mouth was on the floor. And she's starting to take selfies as always. No, one more. Your mouth's with the wrong. My, my hair looks wrong. I'm not beautiful. I'm not beautiful. I'm not beautiful. I'm not. I, I, I sat there for like 30 photos. Normally two. And I'm out. Right, we're done after two. I'm out of here. Gee, you, you had your shot. She did it on purpose to see what I was going to do. And I just sat there smiling. Was that good? Was that good? I'm like, that <laughs> was the difference the that day. Different. Yeah. Just, it was a an nice hour after appreciate. the shot. Um, wow. Up feeling like I wasn't late. I wasn't in trouble, which is an everyday feeling for me. I'm late for something. There's something wrong. I'm not doing something right unless I'm doing something all the time right. That went away. Well, so I, I, I get, get to work on some other things, you know, and. It just doesn't stop with one. That's I got to tell everybody. It doesn't stop with one. Don't give up, guys. I quit, and then and then the suicide is just so sad from people who who would never quit in their entire lives. Yeah, quit. That's true. They'd never quit the oh, mission, right? Hopeless. They would yeah. never, never quit anything for anybody else in their lives, and they give up on themselves. It's so sad to me. Yeah, that they feel that way. I've seen people just helpless. Uh, I've seen people again. Maybe they've tried some things, and it hasn't stuck. Hasn't worked. Uh, maybe it's because they, because of the fact that the PTS is so loud and so um, preventing them from doing the healing work. I, I don't know, obviously, all of everyone's story, but I've just seen a lot of folks that were helpless, and I, I felt it a little bit myself, right? I mean, like at first, I was keeping, keeping the anxiety attacks. I was trying to keep all of the turmoil within me quiet because, again, I was going to lose my job, lose my way to support my family, and once I actually had the courage to speak up and. First, my mom, then my wife, and then my counselor. Uh, it was it was freeing. There was freedom in that, right? It didn't have to be this deep, dark secret anymore. But what has that been like for you, Tom? Like, I mean, again, you know, I was a SWAT cop for a bit, and and so I've kind of I'm not saying our worlds were exactly the same, but kind of that that type A, right? Testosterone heavy, pretty close. The same. Yeah. <laughs> we, I've, SWAT guys, and we spoke to them a lot, and I watched them behave, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're the same. Yeah. <laughs> what What has that been like within your, your 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 brothers within the special operations community? Are Are they ready to hear in 2022? Getting ready to go into 2023, are we in a better spot to to make it okay to not be okay? Barely. We're. It's the start, you know, we've turned, we, somebody in the, in the, in the, what, the cockpit, whatever on the ship, I'm not a Navy guy, but it was, <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask. Don't look at helm, me. The guy at the helm turning the ship. He just turned that battleship. He just turned the, the wheel and it's going to take forever to get it to turn around. Um, but somebody turned the wheel, Yeah. you know, it's hard every day to hear, you know, before Thanksgiving, two people that took their lives that, that we, you know we kind of know about one and we really we were talking with for a while three kids four kids the other one for two months up to eight years it's it's like i don't know what we're doing and 
guys are arguing and, and defending why they're broken, defending why they're doing what they're doing. You know, I'm Irish. I'm supposed to drink. You know, I'm always been a drinker. It's, I drink to forget. And I black. I drink to remember blackout to forget. I'm like, you're selling yourself some shit. Somebody else sold you, man, because I know you're miserable. But to live in that. So it's heartbreak every day to watch my friends who just won't either because it's me and it's too embarrassing to tell me or because they just can't tell anybody, but you know, they're struggling. Yeah. And then to watch others, the greatest joy of my life to watch others embrace it or, or more, more reluctantly embrace it. Like uh, pushing away, like stepbrothers trying to hug and then, uh, 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 and then coming in and hugging finally, and then realizing, wow, I feel better. And then taking that to the next person that they know, and then taking that to the next person. So it grows. That's growing. That's, I mean, that's the wonderful part of our days. And then the horrible part of our days are when people are like, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, you're like, all right, well, I'll try again tomorrow or the next day. I don't see the numbers jumping dramatically, but I know that there's more and the newer, the newer people joining are more in tune. You know, the older people are like, oh, you're babies, you know, rub dirt on it. And the newer people are like, you know what? That gives you an infection. I'm like, very true. <laughs> very true. You'll get infected. Don't rub dirt on it. That doesn't work. That old guy shit doesn't work. No. So, you know, we wanted to hobble out on the dance floor and be first. We're out there doing, you know, <laughs> funky dancing and hoping that people would join us. And they're slowly, slowly coming out and realizing that this is a good thing. Yeah. If we could get more people to profess about how they feel when things are working, it would help out more people. For sure. I, I joke about like alcohol, alcoholics and AA, right? Drunks will get on the stage in the bar and they'll drink and they'll dance naked and do stupid shit all day long publicly. That's good. Publicly. I, ooh, I don't even remember it. It's so fun. But when you need help, you have to go anonymous with it. Mm -hmm. So just to ask for help is the anonymous part because it's embarrassing about what we did versus owning what we did and sharing what it did to us yes. to help other people. Because it's like social media. Everybody sees that face. Like, yeah, I'm so happy. Uh, click and you're fucking asshole. You're like, hey, click, click, click. You're fighting. And then right in between, you're smiling and taking a photo. I'm like, that's not real life. Real life is what happens when no one's looking. And that's what we want to talk about is what happens when no one's looking. Yes. 100%. Hey, Jen, you guys started a podcast, All Secure Podcast. Uh, what What are you guys going to be doing here in 2023 on the podcast? Oh, I'm so excited. We've got some really killer guests that are coming up. Um, everyone from, you know, operators that are raising their hands saying, yeah, this is my story. This is what I did. And this is how I got to the other side, all the way to field experts. We had a sex expert on talking about how to reconnect through trauma. Um, we have a uh, guy joining us this week. That's going to be pretty cool. He's coming out in the new year um, talking about moral injury and his journey. So really, we're covering all kinds of topics um, from the battlefield to the bedroom, really. I like that battlefield to the bedroom. I don't people like. <laughs> so Jamie has that boundary. Like she, like for the Marriage Monday podcast, I, I, I can't cross the boundary, but I, I bounce off that boundary all the time. So, <laughs> but it's important. Here's the thing, uh, you know, and I, I've heard other folks talk on this, just the, the healing, and I haven't listened to that episode, but when we get off here in a little bit, I'm going to listen. The healing that can take place in intimacy within yes. a, a relationship of trust, when there's been loss, when there's been trauma, when you come together and are intimate together, it can help with that healing process and help with the relationship when it's done with love and respect. So 100%. very strong. I, I think that's a, a powerful thing for people to hear. And Tom, I'll tell you what, brother, like, I mean, I'm thinking back, I don't know if you, uh, have you ever read or heard of About Face, Colonel David Hackworth? Uh, I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. It, it was Vietnam, Korean War time, but this, he, he wrote this in the eighties and he talks about us as, or the, the soldiers that he saw as being like a cup. And he said that when he saw people struggling with PTS, he called it shell shock back then, but he said that their cup just filled up. It didn't undo the fact that they were warriors and courageous. It didn't somehow, you know, disqualify them for, for being great folks in the past. Their cup was just full. It just is what it is. Right. Now, he stopped short by, by not breaking down, okay, well, how do we empty the cup, right? How do we empty the cup on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis so that it doesn't fill up? So I'm constantly trying, because I get discouraged too, where we're at right now sometimes, specifically within the first re uh, first responder community. But then when I look back at where we used to be, I'm like, all right, kind of like you said, the ship is turning and it's a big ship. So it may take a while for it to get in the direction I want it to go. But 
once you start turning it, it takes a lot to turn it back the other way. Right. So like, yes. And, and, and you stepping up with your, both of you with your, um, I'm trying to think resume. That isn't the totally right way to say it, but, but the reality is, is some people are going to listen because of your resume. Right. Some that's of, what I told them. <laughs> Get out there. They'll listen. That's to why you. I wrote a book. I would have never written a book. You know, because I knew my friends would be like, what are you, a Navy SEAL now? You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me all the jokes. And, and they came out, but it was like, yeah, I'm writing a book. Have you read it? Do you know what it's about? And like, no. I'm like, okay, it's about how I screwed my life up, not bragging yeah, about it. It's like me. the anti cool anti cool book. Cool guy book. <laughs> it was, and I wasn't going to do it, but Jen basically brought up the fact that that's how you reach more people. Yes. That's the best way yeah. to reach a lot of people. And one day, if it becomes a movie and we're in the process of doing that, then you'll reach even more people. Yes, you, you will. Know? The only reason I did it, and that's it's paid off. You get lots of messages about how hey, your book saved my life, which yeah, I know it didn't. It's it put them in a frame of mind to where they get to work to save their own life, but well, they don't feel alone. Yeah, they don't feel alone is what we get. You know, oh my god, you you, it's like you were writing about me is what I hear a lot. Yeah, they yeah. recognize their trauma in yours for sure, and the fact that that is a common thing, right? I would I would argue it's common as humans because, like you said, Jen. Yeah. We all have some different trauma in our life that potentially has, you know, caused us to develop a post-traumatic stress injury. And so recognizing that this is a common human experience, you're not weird, you're not broken. This is just what happens to human beings when we experience trauma and loss. Now, what do we do to to get better, right? You got it. Guys, I love your work. I love your hearts. if, if other folks haven't been following you, what's the best way for them to stay connected to the work that you all are doing? I think our social media platforms, we're pretty active there. So Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, we have a website, allsecurefoundation.org um, that's getting updated soon. So that's going to be awesome as well with more resources, tips. Um, and we have a podcast called All Secure with Tom and Jen. And that's on all major um, podcast um, platforms. Platforms. Yeah. Thank you. Like, what, what's, <laughs> so like, what's that word? Places. That's that's it's word. everywhere. <laughs> all the places. Yes. I love it. And for the listeners, all of those links will be down in the show notes. Tom, Jen, time is my greatest commodity. I can't make more of it. Thank you for giving me so much of yours. Appreciate thank you, Chris. You. Yeah. Really appreciate you having us on. Yep, you're welcome. Have a great day. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, what did you think of Tom and Jen's story? Just a remarkable, uh, remarkable lives lived. And I love hearing the story of healing that they're still on. As they said it there, it's, 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 a not, it's not an ending process. The, the experience of relationships and the constant work that it takes every single day is a forever journey and not one that we just do one and done and we're complete. Folks, Jamie and I want to hear from you. There's different ways that you can communicate back to us about the podcast. First and foremost, we hope that you're following us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That will cause the next episode to pop up. You can also rate and review us if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. That will increase our visibility on those platforms. There's five stars waiting on our main page. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating if if we've earned five stars folks if we haven't earned five stars keep your stars maybe shoot me an email at chris at gravityct.com let us know how to make a better future marriage monday topics or guests for me to interview folks we only get to live this life once let's go out and take care of the people in our tribe take care of each other god bless